Another blessed Monday evening. Hey, y'all, we got something special for y'all. But before we get started, I just want to say thank y'all for tuning in. Make sure y'all stay active in the in the comments. And also, be sure to call in. You want to talk, you want to ask a question, give your point of view. Hit us up, 865-424-1342. All right? You know we got Jay Bug in the building. and Yeah, Bug, tell me what up, man. What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Welcome back to another episode, episode 25. We're a quarter of the way to 100. Yeah, and we also got my Malcolm Lemons. Y'all y'all, y'all about to hear about this man. He out here doing big things, not only for us as uh, athletes and former athletes, but just the community as a whole, and I love it. So before we get started, Jay, what you got for him? Uh, just a quick shout out to our sponsors, uh, Tennessee Tap House on Peters Road in Knoxville. Just pass it tutoring where you can get your PSAT, SAT, ACT needs, as well as uh, individual private tutoring based out of Miami, but they are virtual. Uh, Orange Mountain Designs, our girl Terry down in Knoxville as well. And yep. Hound Dogs of Knoxville off Kingston Pike. So thank you guys. And of course, our main man, Bobby at the Volunteer Road Show. Shout out, shout out. Make sure y'all watching us, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or if you're just watching us on the volunteerroadshow.com, whatever it is, we definitely appreciate you. Keep our comments, you know, rolling out. You know, it's an interactive show. Now it's time to get down to the meat and potatoes. And if you ain't country, that means we hitting the main course, all right? That's where we at. All right, Malcolm. First off, Malcolm, just say hi to the people before I give them this beautiful rundown I'm about to bless them with, man. What's going on, everybody? Appreciate the opportunity. Excited to be here. No doubt. All right, y'all. Y'all want to know who Malcolm is? This is who this man is, all right? He is a former professional athlete turned author and entrepreneur. He is a two-time author of Lessons from from the Game, a book that highlights his story through basketball and some of the key lessons he learned from playing sports and also Impact Beyond the Game, which teaches athletes how, how to build, leverage, and monetize their personal brands to create a legacy beyond sports. Malcolm has also written for publications such as Huffington Post and Culture Hub, and been featured by national media outlets such as Front Office Sports, ABC, MLB Network, and WUSA. Man, welcome to the show. Welcome. What's going on? What's going on? It's good to be here. Hey, listen, Malcolm, I'm not sure uh, who has heard of you or who has not heard of you, uh, but if y'all have not, I I definitely recommend that you do your research. We will be posting his uh, social media links and scrolling also his website where you can get further information on him. But let's start with, if you don't mind, let's just start with your books, man. Talking about um, Impact Beyond the Game and then also the other one, which was, what was it, Impact Beyond the Game? And Lessons from the Game. 
lessons from the game and okay yeah let's talk about that because that the titles in itself I feel like that's something that every current athlete needs but especially especially when you're transitioning you know in between you just stop playing or thinking about stopping playing and going on to the next spot yeah for sure so I, I would even start that by saying like I never had any intentions of becoming an author you know like <laughs> that wasn't something I aspired to do uh, in life but you know, being overseas, most athletes understand how much time you have on your hands when you're not playing games or practicing. And for me, I didn't know the city. I wasn't close to my teammates. Um, and, and I didn't even have Wi-Fi, you know, when I got over there. So I just had time on my hands. And, you know, you start thinking about, you know, how do you, how you got to that point in your life, you know, what experiences you went through as an athlete. And I started to write as a, as a method of therapy and reflection. Mm. Um, and really just fell in love with the process. And, and, uh, it really kind of helped me find myself and discover who I was outside of the jersey, so to speak. And, and that's really how that first book happened for me. And um, I felt it was it was the best way I knew how to communicate with the world. And so I feel like everybody should be telling their story or at least uh, putting themselves out there because that's what makes us relatable and, and how we com uh, connect with each other as people. And so writing was my way of doing that um, and just continue to you know write consistently and, and recently just published a second book. Yeah. And, and so once you got that therapy out, because I agree, whether you're writing or some people do it verbally, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's poetry, whether it's speaking into a mic and later going back and writing. Um, when did you feel like, OK, I'm going to make this a book? Like, when did you know? When, when did it turn from I'm, this is therapy? This is me finding myself to I'm going to share this with the world. Honestly, it was when I started telling people what I was doing. You know, people people yeah. get to ask you, like, what, what are you doing with, with all your time overseas? You know, like, what is there to do? And I'm like, I just been writing. And I had, like I said, I had no intentions on publishing a book. I didn't know anything about that process. I didn't know any authors, but I thought about how I went through so much to become a professional athlete from like the sacrifices I made to the work I put in to the relationships um, that got lost along the way. And I was like, there's so many athletes who go through similar experiences and so many athletes who will go through similar experiences as I did. And it's up to me to encourage the next generation or at least tell my story to shed some light on the realities of being an athlete um, mm -hmm. and give hope and, and really teach other people how, you know, sports teaches us so much about life and really it's a microcosm of life and just taking away all those different lessons I learned and how I've been able to apply those in other areas. Um, I just thought it was, it was, important for me to put that out into the world and to really give that back to the next generation um so in your book lessons from the game what do you feel is your biggest lesson learned from the game it's a great great question i get that question a lot <laughs> i get that question a lot and, and i go back and forth about it but i would say probably patience um mainly because i think anything in life anything substantial and ambitious such as becoming a professional athlete takes a long time and a lot of work and i think nowadays people underestimate the amount of time it takes to build anything that's uh really long lasting and meaningful so i think being patient um and even going back to you know when we initially talking about transitioning like for a lot of athletes they struggle with that process um but i tell athletes like you didn't become a great athlete overnight that took like 15 20 years of your life and so understanding that you're going into another career and you're starting from ground zero and you have to rebuild yourself, that's going to take time. And the biggest thing that you got to understand is you got to be patient throughout the process. Um, and I think that's just a, such a valuable lesson in life and something we all have to really understand if we're trying to uh, achieve our, our ambitious goals. I definitely agree. And I, I, I will uh, be transparent on here. Y'all know I'm never afraid to do that. Uh, <laughs> So I actually had two separate incidents of, you know, not being, not being an athlete. Okay. I played six years in the WNBA and due to politics and y'all know, I'll never get into that story, but due to politics and bad decisions on my part, I have to be accountable for my own bad decisions that I was making at the time uh, off court. Uh, so that led into about a year and a half of me not playing what I thought I call retirement but I had missed the game so much and I was still relatively young. You know, I was, had only played for six years, um, but I felt lost. You know what I mean? I did, I, Ollie, Alexis Hornbuckle, basketball player. I started playing, I started practicing ball handling and a little bit of basketball around age two. 
right? Started organized sports when I was four. So I didn't really know what to do with myself. Now we fast forward into after 11 years pro and I still was kind of like, I know what I'm capable of, but I'm scared to step out and do something. It's funny because I don't have that fear on the court at all. I don't have that fear when I train other people at all. But when it came to being successful outside of the sport, it was almost as if I went back to being a kid. Like, what if I, what if I mess up? What if I don't make it? What if I don't do it right? What if people don't like me? So what, what can you say to those people who have that fear that comes in post-sports? Walk towards it. I mean, I don't think fear is something that never goes away in life. Like, you, you still get butterflies when you step on the court every time. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not something that ever goes away. I think what we all have to understand is that when we embrace that fear, that's, that's really what builds character and that confidence to help you uh, tackle whatever situation you're facing. So I think you always have to walk towards fear and that's really what courage is. Courage is not uh, the absence of fear. It's you understanding that the fear is there and you you going you going straight towards it no matter what happens. And that that's really what it is, you know, accepting it, embracing it. Yeah, and it's not easy, y'all. I'm, I'm speaking from experience. It's not easy, um, but what you have to realize is God has made you into an exceptional human being, even to become an athlete, especially if you pursue your career into the collegiate and professional level. You have something inside of you that you don't even know. It can break down barriers and, and climb over walls or make new paths. Um, so stick with it. if y'all, Because I speak from experience, so I just hope that y'all – I wish I met Malcolm about, ugh, about five, six years ago. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? That that would have helped with my fear a lot more. But what you got? Man, all right. So then uh, Lessons from the Game, that was your first book? Yeah. So then I guess what was your inspiration and I guess kind of motivation to do your second book? So, I mean, I really – I have been studying and researching – how athletes brands have become so crucial and critical with technology involving and social media, all these different things. And uh, really started to explore the importance of athletes maximizing their value uh, maybe about two and a half years ago. And so uh, with that understanding, I wanted to write a book that really encapsulated everything about how an athlete can utilize their brand during their careers and how it's important for them to continue building on that legacy, even in life after sports. And so uh, my second book, Impact Beyond the Game, was really, that was kind of the impetus of it. It was really teaching athletes uh, why their brand is so important, how they can really maximize it, leverage it, and giving them specific tactics and strategies, uh, whether that's on social media or even, you know, in, in networking offline, uh, giving them strategies around these, these different things to help them really take advantage of that leverage, that attention, and, and that influence that they have during their careers. Because we all know that that window of influence that you got as an athlete is very short. And, you know, if you don't capitalize on it, uh, you could be missing out on a lot of opportunities, whether that's, you know, new revenue streams or just, uh, you know, opportunities to get, uh, you know, jobs in, in life after sports. So I really wanted to put this out here as a blueprint to teach athletes the importance of these things and then teaching them how to, you know, build a legacy with their, with their brand that sustains in life after sports. And what, if you can, because we really want people to go buy the book and read the book to really help them. But if you can tell, like, maybe one strategy or tactic when it does come um, to recognizing and utilizing your brand and like likeness and all of that, what, what would it be? Uh, so I think the biggest thing is understanding the foundational elements. So that would be, like, who you are. As a, as a person outside of, you know, a basketball player or a football player or whatever sport you play, what are your interests and passions? Um, you know, what do you value in life? Who's your target audience? So really understanding the groundwork of what it means to build a brand um, and how all those different elements are going to play a part in the, the greater scope of your, your reputation uh, as you, you know, go further along in your career and even in life after sports. So just understanding the groundwork and really putting that time to be self-aware enough to uh, build yourself as a, as a holistic person, not just an athlete. Absolutely. And just, just if, for anybody who's just now tuning in, uh, we have Malcolm, Malcolm Lehman as our guest. 
um, author, entrepreneur, former professional athlete joining us. Um, make sure y'all again, call in 865-424-1342 because this is the type of man and the type of conversation you wanna be a part of today it, it, because it's, it goes beyond sports. And you know that we're built on more than just sports. And number one, we're more than just athletes. And I think the public, the general public, everybody's, the athletes have always known this, but I think the general public is starting to see we're more than just athletes. We don't just shut up and dribble. That ain't who the hell we are. We don't do that. So make sure y'all tune in, comment. If y'all got any questions for Malcolm, actually, we got one right now on YouTube, Malcolm. So I'm gonna hit you with this. For sure. How do you, how do collegiate athletes get paid to use their likeness, such as like, such as a college football video game? That's a good question. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Kevin for that one. I mean, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about name, image, and likeness and how, you know, we're about to be living in a completely new world, uh, you know, Man, this time next year. Yeah, right? You wish you were still in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's extremely important for student athletes to start understanding um, not only like going back to the foundational elements of what a brand is, but also understanding the different avenues to monetize their their platforms. I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions and uh, you know guardrails and restrictions that probably will be put in place by the NCAA. We have yet to know what those are, um, but I think the biggest thing for athletes is to understand that you know you're more than likely going to be able to start your own business. So whether that's a clothing line or uh, you know, a, a jewelry store, whatever, whatever the case may be, like understanding there's all these different ways of monetizing, but it comes down to understanding what you're good at and what you're interested in. So whether that's like they want to start a podcast and monetize it through advertisements, there's just so many different lanes, avenues that even lesser known athletes are going to be able to take advantage of. It's not going to be just social media deals or brand deals for, for the big name athletes. It's going to be stuff like uh, music streaming and, and clothing lines and podcasts, like I said. So just thinking outside of the box, being creative, understanding your strengths as an, as an athlete um, and understanding how you best tell your story, I think is important for athletes to start, uh, you know, thinking about right now as, as these rules start to change next year. Absolutely. I wish we could have monetized anything about <laughs> I, wish, I think it's like, a, a for me, it, it's like a double-edged blessing. For me, I think it was a double edge. So I would have loved to have like this, the social media, right. the, the being able to just be there and, and be you and people see you and then you can, you know, monetize your likeness. But at the same time, I barely had Facebook. Girl, I wouldn't have had no scholarship. But if think we, if we would have <laughs> had this podcast when we were in Tennessee. Oh, that is true. We would have been lit though. We would have been what? lit. I was, um, now, <laughs> I'm a lot more tactful in front of cameras, but then they would have just got straight up raw book. <laughs> like, that's it. Just buck. That's it. <laughs> it. Um, all right. We got another question for you from Facebook. My girl, Sandrita. What, what are some challenges you've had, you've had to face, whether it be on the court or off the court? Oh, endless, endless. I think, you know, you, even even you two can speak to that. But when you're trying to, like I said before, trying to achieve a goal as ambitious as being a professional athlete, that's going to come with a, a ton of different challenges. And I would think, I think back to the first like major obstacle I, I went through as an athlete was probably my sophomore year of high school when I got cut from the varsity team. And mm. that was really when I started to take basketball seriously my freshman and sophomore year of high school. And um that summer before trials, I had put so much time in the gym, like every single day was in her hours and hours because I wanted to make varsity that year. And I actually made it to the last cuts, took a picture with the team, thought I was on the squad. Coach <laughs> called me up to the office, sat me down, was like, look, Malcolm, we got a stacked team this year. I think that team, we had 10 Division One athletes. We were wow. top four in the country. So the team was stacked. And he basically told me, he was like, we don't have, you know, enough playing time for you like I don't think this you playing on varsity is going to serve you any good for your career so I'm gonna have to send you back down to junior varsity and that just crushed me I went home that day I cried I was, told my mom I was like I'm done playing I'm done and she sat me down she was like look Malcolm she was like in life you're gonna you're gonna run into obstacles that you have no control over and sometimes things are just not gonna go your way the chips are not gonna you know fall your way but you got two options you know you could you could quit and 
be done with basketball or you can play JV this year and prove everybody wrong your junior and senior years. And that's what I did. And so from that moment on, I think I, I told myself that, you know, if I really wanted to become a division one athlete and a professional athlete, I couldn't let anybody, you know, stop me from doing that. Like no matter what the step back was, no matter what obstacle I went through, I had to keep pushing it. So that was like the first major, um, you know, obstacle I went through. And then college, you know, being injured and getting sick. And I even transferred my senior year. So I think it's just, you know, when you set a goal for yourself and you want to achieve something so badly, you're not going to let anything deter you. You're going to keep pushing through despite any type of adversity. And I think for all athletes to understand that um, is extremely important because that's a part of life. You know, that's that's a part of the process. God's going to test you and he's going to test you to see how badly you want that goal. And if you want it, you're going to keep pushing. Yep. And, and you said something right there. God's going to test you. And it's, 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 yeah, man, you know, people, and I, I'm, a, I'm, I might've been a little bit guilty of this when I was younger, you know, because I grew up in a church, like literally grew up in the church. My, my father's a pastor now. My mother's an evangelist. I'm a PK kid too. Yeah. See, you get it. You get it. We've been <laughs> every church service every night and my, and both of my grandfather's pastor, they own churches. So literally I grew up in the church, but when you grow up in the church, as a child, you kind of thinking, well, you know, if I say I love God, if I give my if I give my life to Christ, I'm just going to be able, it's just going to be all gold and glitz and glitter. And it doesn't happen like that. Like life isn't set up like that, period. Even God was tested. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it comes down to, like Malcolm said, how much do you want it? Right? I've had good things. I've been a superstar. I've come off the bench and been a six man. And I've also set my ass on the ground and played zero minutes. You get what I'm saying? And that right there was a true test of, is this something I, I really love or did I only love it because I was having fun and I was getting everything out of it that I wanted at the time? Does that make sense? Yeah, you definitely got to push through that, y'all. But we got anything on Facebook? Because I got something brewing. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Nope, nothing else on Facebook, but... Uh, if you don't want to write it in or type your comment, call the show 865-424-1342. Call in. Let's let's talk to you. See what questions you got. Don't, you be, got scared. Over there? don't be scared, y'all. Right. <laughs> Where you at? Where you at, Marie? Y'all know, right? Let me text in a minute. But uh, let's let's switch it a little bit. Let's switch it a little bit because, I mean, your book has everything to do with the branding and the likenesses as, as well. But as a Black man in America, we all know what we're facing right now as Black people. Um, how, what, how do you, what do you think, I'm sorry, what do you think about the NBA and WNBA, MLB, all the professional sports kind of boycotting uh, against police brutality? Do you think they should just play and then, you know, during their interviews, use their voice. Do you think that boycotting was the right thing to do? Like, what's your, what's your view on all of this? It's a really good question. I actually haven't got asked this yet. Um, but I'll start by saying that the WNBA, I think, has done a phenomenal job yeah. and it's been very um, understated, the, the leadership they've taken mm -hmm. in terms of social activism as an athlete. So I give them a ton of credit and the, the few female uh, WBA players that I know right now, you know, I've, I've sent them DMs just commending them for their efforts. So I think that's really important to highlight. I think, I think, you know, what the, the NBA did and more specifically the Bucks um, when they sat out, I, I think it's a very, very hard decision. I think emotionally, um, you know, when you have a league that's full of African-American, predominantly African-American players, and just the amount of social unrest that we've experienced just within this year, that can take a, a, a huge toll mentally. And I think with them being in the bubble um, and, and not, you know, being able to be around their families and just kind of experiencing everything from that, that, that bubble, um, I think it just hit them really hard. And so I give the Bucks a lot of credit as well for, for taking a stand and sitting out that game. Uh, but I, I think it's a really hard decision to make in the moment. And, uh, I, I can't sit up here and say like they should have extended the boycott and not play because that not only affects their livelihoods and some of those players can't afford to not play. That's just the reality, but it also affects uh, the coaches. It affects the employees of the organizations. And so we have to take into account the other people um, that are going to take a hit from the players not 
playing and them sitting out. So I think it's it's a very very difficult decision to make. But I'm I'm all for radical um, radical action because I think radical action uh, you know it proceeds radical change. And so sometimes we have to make sacrifices such as boycotting. Um, to make our voices truly heard. And we, we know these are multi-billion dollar industries and organizations mm-hmm. and that, the, um, you know, when the, when the ownership, when you, when you hit capitalism at the top in the pockets, eventually it's going to make some type of change, but we got to also take into account the other people who are going to um, be affected by the players not playing. So it's a lot of different factors. And I think it's a very layered uh, conversation as a whole. But I think what, you know, these teams and these players have done individually and as a whole, it's just been amazing to see. And I give them all the credit in the world because I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's extremely hard. And, uh, you know, mentally, physically, I can't imagine what some of those players are going through. So um, that, that's kind of been my two cents on it. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing, you know, how these players continue to use their platforms and inspire people and uplift our community because we need it now more than ever. Absolutely. And I, I definitely agree with, you know, with you on that, like, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, you know, like you said, these are multi-billion dollar industries and, you know, you do have the, the level of people that would be heavily affected by it. But at the same time, um, I think it was, uh, uh, AD after the Lakers game, he said, you know, if the owners don't hold up their end of the bargain, we have no problem boycotting this again. Um, so I think, I think it was a good start for them to really hold the owners accountable to help them, you know, have an impact and use their platform, uh, use their voice, uh, with their platform. And so, you know, I think it was cool. And they sparked literally, you know, across multiple professional sports, they sparked something and people followed suit, you know, Um, or it's bringing about uncomfortable situations and forcing people to really think about what's really going on right outside our door. And it was crazy because the other day I was just sitting like when all this was going on, I was sitting in my kitchen counter, like almost in tears, like, man, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. Like, and so it's just like, just the reality that we're in as African-Americans is it's insane. Like you, you're almost nervous to walk out your front door because you don't know what situation you could be placed in or, or who feels some type of way you could be at the grocery store or whatever gas station. And it's just like some people, somebody could just not like the color of your skin and, or just have the hate in their heart because of everything that's going on. So now, I definitely think the NBA definitely sparked conversations. And like you said, the WNBA has done an amazing job. I mean, when they walked in with the seven bullet holes in the back of the T-shirt, that oh. gave me chills. I just that got chills just now, bud. Oh. That gave me chills. And like you said, I don't think enough light has been shed on the WNBA. I mean, I watched SportsCenter and Get Up and Scott Van Pelt that whole day almost. And I watched the uh, – Sports Center uh, NBA countdown special when they didn't have the games and they touched on it, but that was kind of it. You know, there was no player interviews and, you know, talking with the coaches, talking with anybody from the league. And it was, and I could have missed it, but I mean, it's a whole uh, special edition of Sports Center. So it's like, I mean, they're right there as well in Orlando. So I, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, and not enough. Um, has been shed on the WNBA as well. But when has it? I'm, all right, don't let me start. So Kevin, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, that's a fact. Like I was in it, bro. Like there's no way as a professional athlete, you got to worry about socks. I know the NBA ain't worried about socks. I'm, and I'm not making this up. It's crazy. Like, oh, we only get a certain amount of gear and this and that. Now, if you got a brand sponsorship, you don't worry about nothing because, you, you know, they just sending it to you. But as a whole, the WBA, that's what, you know, it was just like, oh, well, we don't have any more so- socks, bro. Like, socks? We ain't got no socks. We can't order no more so- Like, come on, man, because my dogs be barking, so I'm through <laughs> these things, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> but for real, hey, Kevin, he actually had – I'm going to just read it. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the players still get paid. I think the games just got postponed, not seeing that it did much. Muhammad Ali protested without getting a paycheck for a time. 
Muhammad Ali and even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but more so Muhammad Ali was in the black and everybody kind of knows his story. Uh, he not only protested civil rights, he was like, I'm not going to the army. I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not doing anything that y'all want me to do. I'm not doing it because y'all don't even fight for me here. Y'all want me to go fight a war over there. It's a war here. Right. And I think he was in that time and he used that to say no more. And they ended up bringing him back because he was the greatest. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. like you said, Malcolm, people have their livelihoods, but at the same time, this is how I feel about it. Most, most NBA players, most NBA players have some sort of endorsement, some sort of, they have a great platform because just being in the NBA, they have a great platform. And I think that there are organizations that, you know, if needed, if someone really needed extra something, I think that there is something that they could work with there. But I don't know if you say don't play or play. You know, my good friend Renee Montgomery, she was on ESPN. She's an NBA uh, analyst also. She said, yeah, out oh, that's Nate. Yeah, we grew up together. We both from West Virginia, literally. Like, oh, our that. parents grew up together, and then we grew up together. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, she set out, she's making, I think she made a good decision, but maybe that was a great decision for her and not a great decision for my other friend, Candace Parker. You get what I'm saying? Um, because everybody says I'm going to use my voice in a different way. And there is no right or wrong way except silence. And I think that if you are going to play and you're going to compete, you have to speak up. You cannot be on that court. You cannot accept that money. You cannot have the platform you have and not use it. That's like being silent. I'm sorry. That's just my personal opinion. And I'm going to stick to that. I, I don't like, again, it's not wrong to play and it's not wrong not to play. But if you're not using your voice, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and I think everybody's financial situations and, and reasoning is different. And like I said before, it's a very nuanced and complex situation. And to get everybody to think in unison and to get all the teams to be like, we're not playing is extremely difficult to do. And obviously not everybody's going to be on the same page with that. Um, I, I, I just think it's, it's a very, very complicated thing. And it's not as easy as just, um, you know, we should sit out or we should play. And so there's, there's, like I said before, there's multiple things you have to take into, into play. But I think what you touched on about you utilizing your platforms, whether you're going to play or not, is extremely important because, you know, the kids look up to athletes as role models, you know, whether they like it or not, they are role models and, you know, they are the culture, they're the black culture. And so when we put athletes on the biggest pedestal in this country, we, we sometimes hold athletes in a higher regard than we do our politicians, which is ridiculous, but it's the truth, yeah. it's, it's the truth. And so when LeBron James speaks out, kids listen, people listen, black, the black community listens to that. We're not asking them to be a politician, but we are asking athletes to use your platform for the greater good of our people and to speak out when something is wrong. And so regardless of whether you decide to play or you decide to sit out, you have to use that voice. You, you, it's, you're, it's, you're obligated to, you know, uh, in that position. So I think that's the most important thing. We have to continuously um, get athletes to, to understand that, you know, they're, they have a responsibility to empower and to inspire people and to um, uplift the community in whatever way they, they can do that the best, you know. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I agree. Use your, use your voice, use your platform, for sure. Um, so, Malcolm, what's what's on the table for you right now? You've, you know, obviously entrepreneur, uh, author. You got another book in the works? Uh, people have been asking me that, but I'm like, I'm still trying to get some awareness around this second book. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. No, in all, in all honesty, um, I do have another book that, that I've started to work on, but I've also, uh, you know, I'm starting to get into managing and, and helping athletes market themselves. So starting a, a athlete marketing company and working on connecting athletes with brands for endorsement deals and helping them build other uh, revenue streams. So that's probably going to be my main focus going forward. But I think writing is always going to be a part of uh, my journey and you know it's become such a big part of me putting out my story and helping me connect with people so definitely got another book in the works don't know don't know when yet but it, it's yeah. coming 
Trust the process, right? Exactly. <laughs> For sure, that's what's up. And, yeah, and if you don't mind, just so the people, because we want you to get those book sales. We want everything. So go ahead, tell them the name of both of your books. Again, y'all should be listening, though, real talk. But uh, tell them the name of the books, tell them where they can get it, and, and all that good stuff. For sure. Um, so Lessons from the Game and Impact Beyond the Game is available on Amazon. Um, I think also Barnes & Noble, Target, any any book retailer online you can get. Uh, at least Impact Beyond the Game. The last I heard, Lessons from the Game was sold out. So might have to contact Amazon about that. But you can definitely get Impact Beyond the Game on any major book retailer online. I love it. I love it. So... I like to get things a little heated, you know, we'll probably, I don't, I never, I always say we lose followers, but we never really lose followers. Um, oh, well, let me shut, let me shut up real quick. Cause Kevin kind of went, went, Kevin, you read my mind, man. All right. So Kev said, you mind if I call you Kev? I'm going to call you Kev. All right. What can we, <laughs> what can we do to prevent BLM fatigue? It's everywhere. Now, Kevin Stokes. He's a he's a he's a Georgia Bulldogs fan, but I'm starting to like. <laughs> I'm starting why to you, like. Why are you on the honorary? Hey, listen. This this how this how much love we exude around the world. We bring in a little bit of everybody, man. But uh, <laughs> what's your take on that one? I I I'll jump on that after you do, Malcolm. I want you to kind of what's your opinion on that? What can we do to prevent BLM fatigue? I think the first thing we got to understand that this is not a trend, it's a lifestyle. And I think LeBron James mentioned that, but like we as black people, we live this every single day. Black Lives Matter is not, you know, something we're just saying for the time being because we've seen a couple, you know, uh, social injustices take place in 2020. This is something that we're actively pushing through every single day of our lives. As you mentioned, when we walk out the door, you know, black men, black women are sometimes perceived as a threat and we don't know what's going to happen at any given time. So for us to consistently utilize our voices, our platform and live this life, live this, you know, this ideal that our lives matter, that we matter as people. We're not asking for any special rights or special privileges. We're, all, we're asking to be treated as equal and as citizens of this country. And that's, that's, that's simply what it is. And so we're living this lifestyle, this ideal and trying to portray that every single day. Um, and I think people sometimes are just getting caught behind the, the moment, the, the trends, the, it's the hot thing of the moment, but we have to con consistently um, push the message that this is, we're embodying this lifestyle and we're gonna continue saying we matter because it's, it's the truth and we're gonna continue living that. And, that's for me, that's what it is. It's not about, you know, the, the moment. It's about this being, you know, a full on for the rest of our life type thing. Absolutely. And I would just like to tell everybody that's listening um, or that will be watching, going back and watching later Black Lives Matter organization versus Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. is real. Okay. Yeah. As, a, as a Black woman, I get, and I'm, you know, I do other things, Malcolm. I might have to hit you up and get you on my other platform, Retired Athletes for Radical Unity, uh, and get you on one of my broadcasts, but or one of our broadcasts. But also, um, y'all have to understand, don't say Black Lives Matter organization um, is is this and this, they're radical. They, they're trying to make it just about Black people and only Black people, whereas Black Lives Matter movement is about the actual movement saying we, as a Black community, we matter. We're here to peacefully protest. We're here to do our thing. Uh, we're here to make y'all hear us because for over 400 plus years, y'all haven't heard us. And y'all can try to throw everything up in our face. And when I say y'all, it could be a white person, but there are Black people who think that this is crazy or, or come back with rebuttals and stuff, not understanding what Black Lives Matter really is. It's not about the riots, but riots are the voice of the unheard, Martin Luther King Jr., right? But let's take it back. How did we get to this America that we have? Everything was forcefully taken. Murder, burning, slavery. And we're trying to say, look, we don't wanna enslave anyone else. What we want is the same opportunity 
to be able to go out in public and not worry about getting shot in the back seven times for breaking up a fight. Not worrying about sleeping in our own home. Not worry about, uh, there's been ex-police officers or EMT, current EMT members that have been mistreated solely because of the color of their skin. So Black Lives Matter is just saying, listen, take out the skin color for everyone in America, right? We're people. That's all we want to be recognized that we just want the same opportunities. And it may be scary for y'all, but it's scary for us to think that y'all are going to fight us so hard not to get those opportunities. So I do want to clear that there's a big difference from the organization and the actual movement. For sure. For sure. Hey. No, I, I think you hit it on the head. My, I think my biggest thing with avoiding uh, Black Lives Matter fatigue is don't get distracted. Mm. Because social media, um, the entertainment culture, um, the news, uh, local uh, politicians, they're going to distract you with all kinds of things. Like, I mean, of course, you turn on the news now, you know, you don't see anything. You know, I mean, this past Friday was the March on Washington, right? And it's just like, I mean, I know CNN televised it or whatever, but I mean, social media wasn't really present, you know, and it was just, there were so many, um, obviously COVID played a role in, in affecting that, but at the same time, I think there were reports of maybe 200, 250,000 people uh, at the Washington Mall, but it's just like, don't get distracted because you know, there, there are so many things going around and especially with Trump running for office, he's going to do everything in his power to distract you from not voting or, you know, everything. But the black vote is going to be incredibly crucial in, uh, what, two months, you know, a little bit over two months. Um, and it's just like, it's crucial. Uh, my cousin is crazy because the, um, earlier today, uh, my cousin posted on his uh, Instagram. He was like, man, I just left the gym. This guy pulled up to me in a truck and goes, hey, you registered to vote, which my cousin just moved to where he's at. He was like, I'm going to, not not yet, but I'm, I'm going to be registered to vote and I'm going to vote. He was like, oh, well, let me take a few minutes and get you registered to vote for Kanye West. He was like, we're trying to get him to Arizona. And I'm like, and he's like, What? You know, and it's just crazy because, you know, voting for Kanye, A, he's not qualified whatsoever, but by voting for Kanye, it's like that takes away from your voice, you know, and all these policies that, you know, we want change to go into effect, we have to vote. Um, and, and no matter what it is, they're gonna try to deter you from voting. They're gonna try to deter you. The only way we have a change in terms of policies and you know, our skin color and everything like that, like we have to affect change voting too. So it's just like, don't, don't get distracted because there's so much shit that is distracting right now from what's really the, the issue at hand. Um, you know, Jake, I mean, Jacob Blake, like had they not been recording from across the street, we would have never known. And that's just one other incident of police brutality on on black people that goes unseen you know they don't have on a body cam and it's just like so nah i definitely agree with y'all but my thing is just don't get distracted yeah it, it's it's easy to do it's very easy to do mm -hmm. um, but I, I think malcolm said it earlier like this isn't this isn't just a uh, moment. This isn't just a, a, a fact right now. Yeah, this is a lifestyle. And Kevin, I think the best thing that you can do and anyone that you come in contact with, number one, encourage everybody to vote. But number two, post, repost, speak your mind, speak your piece. Get your friends to do the same thing, black, white, or indifferent, brown. I don't really care who you are. Let's just start you know, just straight flooding America with love and facts and truth, and then just continue to kind of con uh, link up and make this thing so that it is unbreakable. You know what I mean? Because Summit used to say, or no, I think it was Coach Dean Lockwood, he would go through this whole thing about, you know, as a team, we're better, we're better as a fist versus, you know, five individual fingers, right? 
so as 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 a nation, if we can come together and be tight as a nation versus one person over here, one person over here, groups, 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 whatever, that can be easily broken apart, dogged on the social media or whatever, that's when people discredit it. That's when you start to see people get a little weary and start to, you know, kind of stagger that, you know, straddle the fence a little bit. And that can't happen either. I'm sorry to say this, either you're a racist or you're not. At this point in time, there's no in-between. You can no longer say you're ignorant. So many books, movies, documentaries, too much social media. We have news just like that now. So either you're racist or you're not. And I'm not saying that you're, if you were, you know, undercover racist or whatever, or didn't even know, you might not even known some of the things you were saying or doing were coming off as racist. But once you know it, it's your job to change it. There's nothing any other person can do. It's your job to change it. And I think that's really important. And if you continue to want to be a part of that change and not just write a, uh, what is a story? I'm old school. So sometimes I forget what the social media stuff is called. It's the story, right? You want to go away in 24 hours? Instagram yeah. story. Yeah, and Facebook, right? They both go away. Like, Facebook. Look, right now you've been a little. Well, you I didn't know which one you were. <laughs> <laughs> all got stories now. Saying, though, don't just post it on your stories to look good for a day. You know what I mean? Make a full post about it. Put it on whatever that's going to be there. Don't put it on something that can disappear. Let people know where you stand. Challenge your friends and family. Ask them where do they stand. When they tell you, ask them why. You don't need to automatically pursue into an argument. Ask them why. You should be more about educating within your communication rather than just straight saying, oh, you don't believe in this. I'm done with you and, and cussing each other out. Like It doesn't need to be like that. It need, we need to open up forms of, of conversation and communication that's uncomfortable, that's hard, but that leads to change. Mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly agree. And even just piggybacking off of that, um, understanding the historical context, and you mentioned, you know, we've been we've been fighting this this battle for 400 years, and mm -hmm. the the most challenging thing is getting our counterparts, the people who don't understand our history or what we've been through, to really see that and to empathize with um, everything we've experienced in this country as as Black people. Um, and, and I think the next generation is, is probably the most aware and informed generation because they've grown up with social media. And so um, I encourage them not to take that for granted, not to take that lightly because you have the information, the knowledge at your fingertips, but it's about being resourceful. Um, like you said, sharing that information, engaging in dialogue, because I think those having those conversations are really bringing those un uncomfortable conversations to light is, is how we can impart that change. And so I think dialogue, education, uh, sharing of, of resources and knowledge and really um, understanding where we come from so that we know where we're going with this um, is extremely important. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. But we got any uh, questions on the, Kevin, thank you for that. You, you literally were in my head on that one because that's where I was leading the conversation towards anyway. Um, did you, you have anything on Facebook? I just got, has something that popped up on um, Instagram. If let not, check, let me see what we got. No, nothing on Facebook. All right. Well, let me go ahead and get to Brian over here on YouTube. Brian, um, said, did y'all hear about his ex-girl who called the cops on him is upset. He's made out to be an angel after he sexually assaulted her multiple times. Who are we talking about? Jacob Blake. Oh, and that, that's another thing. I think regardless of what his so-called history, it, it is. And it was he, no- The man's back is to you. can't justify shooting somebody in the back seven times. I mean, regardless of whether he had been to jail before or whatever the case may be, or what his, his part was in the situation, like there's no justifying shooting somebody seven times in the back. And I think people are trying to make excuses for the officers um for why they did what they did there's just no excuse there there's right. no excuse you can possibly make whether he had a knife in the car whatever the case may be there are other tactics and methods for subduing somebody than shooting to kill um and so i don't even think there's any point you can make or tell me that justifies it i mean period and the funny thing is what what was the what was the shooter the one the little boy the underage boy that came across state lines with an ar-15 what was his first name uh, Oh, Rittenhouse. 
Something, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, my thing is he's a he's a fine citizen who was helping the police, right? But now you're not bringing up his dirt. Did y'all see his rap sheet? I didn't, but I wouldn't be. Surprised. Oh boy, he got one. He got one. Discharging a firearm uh, under the influence. First off, you're completely underage. Why are you under the influence with a gun? First and foremost. Secondly, uh, disorderly conduct multiple times. But my thing, my argument is, if that was a black man or any per any POC, any person of color. They would have been just like this. Oh, well, his record was this. He smoked marijuana. He did this. He he got the cops called on him for sexual assault. First off, that's not right. But handle that issue separately. If she called the police for that, they have a record of that, number one. And they also have a record what did or did not occur. So if nothing occurred, that is no longer on him. Is it right to do? Should he be doing that? He has kids. He shouldn't be treating. No man should treat a woman like that. But... That's as again, that's not the issue at hand, as you said, Malcolm. He has a knife in the car. I have seen numerous videos of white men with knives and weapons going at the police, pushing the police down, and they're still able to somehow, somehow get these people and they can walk away. They have their lives, they have their mobility. They're not paralyzed, they're not dead, they're not suffering from PTSD. Mm-hmm. So I really don't give a damn about what happened before this. We're talking about this. And it's just sad that that's what people try to use to distract you from Black Lives Matter. So, Kevin, that goes back to you. When you see this thing on people's feeds, when you hear it in a conversation, you have to quickly acknowledge it, stop it, let them know it's not right, let them know why. And either you'll lose friends or you'll gain people as an understanding and we'll gain allies as a whole for Black Lives Matter movement. It's funny, I actually had this conversation with my cousin the other day and and one of the issues he was talking about was that you have a lot of uh, white police officers who are deployed in these predominantly black neighborhoods where there might be a high level of crime, but they've never really had association or interactions with black people. And so a lot of their perception or what they think about us is what they see on TV or what the media portrays us as threats Mm -hmm. or monsters or dangerous. And so Mm -hmm. they automatically default into defense mode when they come into contact with us, instead of trying to have a conversation or getting to understand us or getting to know us so that we're able to come to a peaceful resolution and it doesn't lead to seven shots in the back. And so I think there needs to be more uh, programming or training around uh, getting police officers, white police officers to understand how to interact with black people, understand how, you know, it doesn't have to lead to that. You can you can have a conversation with somebody or at least other tactics that don't have to lead to you drawing your gun. And it, it all goes back to connecting and understanding people and being able to relate a little bit better. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that the police officers have nowadays is their disconnection with our communities, the communities that they're they patrol in but they don't have relationships with us. And that really at, at the foundation, I feel like that's what a police officer is supposed to do, it's supposed to be ingrained in the community, understand how to talk to the people of the neighborhood, understand how to navigate that. So then when situations arrive, they can diffuse it in a, in a peaceful way and, and, and no one has to leave with their lives lost. Right. Definitely agree. Um, and that, that's a great point about deploying, you know, white officers to, to predominantly black neighborhoods and they have no relations with anyone in the neighborhood. So it's just like, you know, on top of them, maybe not even wanting to be in that neighborhood, you know, they don't even try to create or figure out, you know, ways to, to actually be a police officer and, and eliminate crime and, and, you know, things of that nature. So oh, you mean they know how to do their job, Bug? Is that what you're saying? That too. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not dogging. What'd you say? I said it's not rocket science. Like you take an oath to serve and protect. So why does the color of your skin matter? Period. Wherever you're sent to patrol. So that, that part though. That part. And just so y'all know, those who are listening, we're not anti-police. Or I'm not anyway. Uh what but we are anti-police brutality. We are anti-killing of innocent black people. We are very anti those two. Um, I have 
close friends, um, many that are on the force. I know former, you know, sheriffs or whatnot, and I respect authority because that's how I was raised. But also, respect is earned, not given. And so now, unfortunately, the police have kind of made everyone else fear them, but also want to challenge them in a way because it's like, I'm scared, I'm doing this. You can be doing everything right. I've seen, man, I mean, I've seen things where they said, hey, get on the ground, put your hands, get on your knees, put your hands up, lay on the ground flat, put your hands up. I said, get on your knees and put your, like they throw out confusing commands even if you're trying to do everything they're telling you, and even though their commands might contradict that, it's like they, they want you to do the slightest thing so that they can shoot, you know? And I, I don't understand that, especially when it comes to Jacob Blake. If you're that close, why can't you just pull him out the car? Okay, if you want to use a weapon, why couldn't you tase him? Well, they did already tase him, but nonetheless... Yeah, but he got to the car. He don't have, right, and he don't. But you mean y'all can't take this man down? Like, yeah, just tackled him or something. Three, like, y'all can't three, take three, one three, man three. down. Come on, now. so it's that's <laughs> yeah. Um, Malcolm, before we um start to kind of close this up, I do have another question that goes back to the kind of the beginning of our conversation. But before we get there, is there anything or or remarks that you would like to share as far as the Black Lives Matter movement, as far as you know, anything being a black man, any advice, um, anything in that manner? Um, I mean, personally for me, obviously, is I think it's been extremely frustrating for us as a whole. I think the biggest thing is going back to what I said before, just continue to educate one another and engage in dialogue. I think uh, the more that we connect and the more that we, you know, deploy empathy, that's the biggest key in all this is empathy, understanding someone else's point of view without uh, arguing or disagreeing or disagreeing. You can disagree with somebody, but at least hear them out and, and understand where they're coming from. I think it is extremely important. So um, I'm using this time to to not only make sure that, you know, I'm mentally okay uh, throughout all this, but to continuously have conversations like this. And I think this is really important what y'all doing. So I appreciate the opportunity. Definitely. We appreciate you. And before we, we have a question, it's a really good question. It kind of goes back to, you know, the beginning of the podcast. Um, so we'll switch it back up a little bit. But San Garcia said, how, how do less known athletes get in touch with other brands to utilize their likeness and monetize it? Any specific resources that you can recommend? That's a really good question. I think that starts with, it depends on the brand that an athlete is trying to associate themselves with first and foremost i think the biggest thing is putting out content online so if there's a product that you uh, really like or want to endorse it's, it's all about putting that out into the world so taking pictures with the product you using the product and tagging that company or uh, doing things of that nature so that you can be seen and, and there is a genuine association that you that and people know that you actually have some type of affinity for the product because I think a lot of times athletes just want the dollars, but there has to be an alignment with you actually using whatever product it is mm -hmm. um, for that brand to, to to actually for it to actually be a good relationship. And so I think that's where it starts. Um, but I think there's I mean there's uh, there's a ton of ton of resources that athletes can kind of utilize. But for me, it's about content, putting out your story, and, and just being a, as authentic as possible when it comes to um social media and uh kind of showing the world who you are outside of the jersey definitely agree definitely agree absolutely bug before we start to shut this thing down you got anything for the people anything you got going on through the week the gold standard anything man no just i uh, yeah i do got a little uh modeling gig tomorrow but you know I'm just here, you know uh nah um but no, nah, just honestly, at the end of the day, like I just, like we talked about earlier, I just want people to stay focused, you know, re remember what's going around you, don't get distracted. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, so right now I'm just continuing to just strive and figure out ways I can have an impact and uh, through, you know, everything that I'm doing. Um, so I just encourage everybody to stay connected, register to vote, please register to vote. And if you can vote early, find out when your early voting is in your city. In Atlanta, uh, 
October 6th, I believe, or October 12th. I can't, I need to double check, but it's all the way through the um, 31st. So definitely make sure you vote early if you can. Um, just stay locked in, y'all stay prayed up. Absolutely. Everybody that was joining us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, um, or on the volunteerroadshow.com, thank you once again for tuning in to The Collective Unfiltered, episode 25, featuring Malcolm Lemons, author, entrepreneur, and former professional athlete. Um, you can find him at Michael Malcolm Lemons on social media and also his web, website, which is malcolmlemons.com, correct? Mm -hmm. Is yeah. it Lemons or Lemons? Lemons, like lemons, because right, I will, I will mess up some of my head now. You know, my apologies. <laughs> <to> my <head. laughs> and also, um, make sure that y'all do go to the volunteerroadshow.com, get some of y'all's merchandise. We have masks, we have some other t shirts, we have some cool things going on. Um, so make sure y'all help support us. Everything, all those proceeds, um, go to Sam Strong, correct, Bobby? Is that right? Sam Correct. So Sam Strong um, and his fight and battle of, uh, of cancer and survival and all that. So make sure y'all help support us in our podcast and also Sam. And um, before we head out, thank you to Hound Dogs of Knoxville, also Tennessee Tap House, Orange Mountain Designs, and Just Pass It Tutoring. We appreciate you. We thank you. And we better see you come back next Monday at SEAL. All right? <laughs> Until next time, Bo, take us out. Let's go. We love y'all. Appreciate y'all for tuning in, Malcolm. We appreciate you. We wish you continued success in all your endeavors. And just remember to be unfiltered in your truth. For sure. Keep doing what y'all doing. Love it.